In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. There's Salt Lamakia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Here we go, here we go, one day until the final month of the regular season. Yeah, you know what that means. It means September, and you know what that means. That means September call-ups. It's a little bit different this time around. It's a little bit diff- different the last couple of years. It's not the wave of September call-ups. It is a select few, and a select few already starting to trickle out. The Yankees' top two prospects, Jason Dominguez, Austin Wells, they're getting called up. Boom, boom. There you go. They're top two. Now, it is going to be fascinating to see who these teams pick to join them on the active roster. And that's why we have called on our good friend, friend of the program, part of our family, Sam Dykstra, MLB Pipeline, our source when it comes to all things prospects. Sam is telling us who to watch, who to get excited about when it comes to potential September call-ups. It's a good one. It's a great podcast. We appreciate Sam's expertise. We appreciate, by the way, FanDuel. Once again, thank you for all that you do for us, part of our family. Also, putting odds on Rookie of the Year, putting odds on National League MVP, which we talked about uh, just the other day. It's going to be a continued conversation. Thank you, FanDuel. And thank you, Producer Evan. For not only helping, joining Skiff and having the back and forth on power rankings. Excellent power rankings. Go check that out. But also, just dominating the socials. At BB isn't boring. At BB isn't boring. By getting back to the September call-ups, Sam Dykstra breaks it all down for us. Who we should get excited about in terms of being called up. And looking back, since the trade deadline... Which prospects who were traded are surfacing more than any other of these other prospects who were traded? Who is distinguishing themselves with their new teams who were in deals at the deadline? Because we went through the deals at the deadline at the time. Now we can look at guys who have actually come out and dominated. Well, spoiler alert, the Mets. If you like the Mets, you might want to listen to this one. All right, I love prospect talk. I love the prospect talk with Sam Dykstra. Like I said, MLB Pipeline, go check that out. But today, he's on with us. He's on the Baseball Isn't Boring podcast talking about the future, which now is becoming the present. September Cops. Here you go. One of the most important people we have as friend of the program, Sam Dykstra, MLB Pipeline. And I'm not just saying that, Sam. You are you are tremendously important. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to lean so much on you. 
Appreciate. Thanks it. for having me, Rob. Yeah, I need to start snipping out these intros you have for me and just play them for them for myself every once in a while because <laughs> I always feel so much more important when I come on the show. So it's yeah, it's great to be here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, Kendall, I did an interview with Kendall Graveman yesterday. He never felt better. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so like we, we, last time we talked, it was leading into the, what was it? Uh, was it the trade after the trade deadline? It was after the trade deadline. We were breaking down who everyone got, um, which we're going to finish off with, with a look back at that real quick. It's highlighting one player in particular, but it's, it's a month later, it's just as timely to have you on because now we have this weird thing. And Sam, I know that you were a young, younger man when it used to be this. Everybody gets called up and it's a flood of people. And if you're anybody who's anybody, you're getting a call up even to sit on the bench. But that's not how it is anymore. You get two guys being called up. Um, so, I mean, from your perspective, that must make it. I don't know. It makes it less interesting, more interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think it makes it a little less interesting because, it, like you said, I remember the times when it was just a parade out of the bullpen and you would get starters <laughs> who would get bullpen looks and guys, we were super excited just to get their major league opportunity. That doesn't happen as much anymore. It's it's much more limited. Um, so, you know, it's less exciting from my point of view. There's less call-ups. There's less fewer guys to talk about, but they still happen. There's still two extra spots and teams are still playing for something down the stretch. So it, it you can get creative in that way, but yeah, it's not everybody in the boat anymore it's but it's i guess we the the elite of the elite are getting called up now i mean unless you know obviously you usually have to be in triple a maybe a little bit of double a but the elite of the elite that they aren't going to waste time calling up people in other words it's you're going to see maybe and maybe i I don't know what i'm talking about but you're going to see more legit prospects than maybe you will the quentin berries of the world you know, um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on what you need or, or what's in your system, right? I mean, you're not going to call up your top prospect from high A, but like Sadon Rafaela, I know we're not in September yet, but he was almost like a perfect example of that, I think, because he is somebody who brings versatility, is somebody who plays center and short, but he is really gifted. He's hitting better than ever at Triple A. Um, so, you know, make him the 28th man guy or 28th guy on the roster and, you know, let him fill in for Adam Duvall in center field every once in a while. Let him fill in for Trevor Story. And he's really good. He's not he's not just coming in for pinch running or d- defense at the end of the game. He can start, too. So getting those really quality guys who are well-rounded, those are the ones we're going to get the opportunity. Yeah, it's not it's not like, hey, let, let, let us expose you to the major league lifestyle. Usually if a guy gets called up now, he's going to play. I mean, it's 28 exactly. guys. So, all right, well, speaking of those guys, let's go. Let's do it. Who are, who are, who are you eyeballing when it comes to some of these call-ups? Yeah, one I'm really intrigued to see if it's going to happen is Pete Crow Armstrong with the Cubs. Um, P. Crow Armstrong, for people who don't know, I just mentioned Rafaela as a really gifted defender. P. Crow Armstrong might be the best defender in all of the minor leagues. We thought that for a few years now, he moved from the Mets to the Cubs in the Javier Baez trade a few years ago. It was a one-for-one swap. At the time, he was out with a shoulder injury. Um, he's been healthy the last two years and productive offensively and, of course, defensively in center field. They've started moving him around a little bit. That's just to get him exposure uh, to the corner outfield spots. He is a true center fielder, and he's somebody who brings energy to every team that he plays on. So if you're the Cubs and you're definitely in the wild card hunt right now, outside chance you catch the, the Brewers too, 
why not inject him into that that lineup somehow? Find a spot for him, even if it's on the bench, even if again it's it's a seventh, eighth, ninth inning defensive replacement or a pinch runner. Pete Armstrong can can inject that energy into every team he plays, and that could certainly continue at the major league level. Um, so he's a one I've definitely got my eye on. So how does that? And I know you, you sort of you talked a little bit about this, but how does how does that look? Like how does like you say, you know, how does that look for the Cubs? Is this is this a guy who? Uh, how many at bats does he come in as defensive replacement? Like you said, he he'll supply energy, whatever that is. And by the way, Pete Crow Armstrong, I have talked to, um, but my conversation with him was about his mom being in a movie. Oh right, yeah. And I'm yeah. gonna it's it was uh, I always get mixed up with Little Big League, Little Big League. Was it Little Big League or Rookie of the Year? Rookie of the Year. Oh, man. It was one of the two. <laughs> we um, always get those mixed up. Uh, yeah. I, I, but anyway, so his mom was the mother. I got to look this up. Hold on a second. Yeah, Little Big League. Little Big League. It was so, Little Big League. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, his mom, Ashley Crow, was the mom of in Little Big League of the the kid who became manager of the Twins. And and I remember talking to Pete Crow Armstrong when he was a kid. He's like, what I remember is being able to be on the field and playing catch with all these major leaguers. Who, so if you remember, there was a ton of cameos in that movie. So anyway, there you go. That's 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 my Pete Crow Armstrong <laughs> story. Um, so, but so I actually have been following this guy because also in that 2020 draft, like we were, we had nothing else to do. So we were so obsessed over every single person. Um, Mick uh, Abel, Abel, am I pr- yes, yeah, Mick yeah, Abel. Mick, yep. Mick Abel was another one in that draft. But we were so obsessed with uh, every little thing about these guys. Pete Crow Armstrong was one of them. So uh, it's good to see when somebody actually pans out. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you talk about like where is he going to fit for the Cubs? I mean, they've got Cody Bellinger playing center field and Mike Talkman. Bellinger can play first. You can do that pretty easily. Um, Pico Armstrong is basically OPS above 800 everywhere he's gone, and that's continued at AAA Iowa. So I, I don't expect that to happen immediately. The bat's certainly behind the glove and the speed, but you know you could stick him in center field right now and not really skip much of a beat, at least defensively. And you know with Ian Happ and left and, and Suzuki and right, that would be a pretty good outfield going into the postseason for the Cubs. And also, uh, it's also that there's you can talk about energy. That's another thing that these guys can bring any team. I mean, this this every little bit helps when it comes to the optimism. I mean, I think that the Cubs are an example of that. They took off. They said, "Thank you, Jed Hoyer, for getting Candelario. Thank you for believing in us. Thank you for allowing us to go for it." And they're sitting here with a lot of excitement in that city because of it. And that's the next wave. So. Um, all right, so that's a good one. You got another one? Yeah, another one that I, I'm i not sure if this is going to happen because the Orioles just have too many position players. Um, but one that I'm fascinated to see if it's going to happen, speaking of that 2020 draft, is Heston Kerstad, uh, their number three prospect. Somebody who was the second overall pick in 2020 uh, missed all of 2021 due to heart issues that stemmed from COVID, was coming back last year, Slowly building his way back. I saw him in the Arizona Fall League. Looked like who he was at Arkansas um, with a real power stroke to right field. He's a left-handed hitter. It's a swing that works 
perfectly for Baltimore, especially with that deep left field that they have now. Uh, I was talking to him in spring and kind of joking. I'm like, how much are you going to aim for Utah Street? <laughs> He's like, I don't know. Let, let's get there before that happens. And then he had a little smirk. He's like, I would love to do it, though. Uh, it's, it's a perfect swing for that ballpark. Uh, he's an outfielder. He's gotten some time at first base as well. So they are moving him around trying to figure out how he pieces into that lineup. But he's gotten significantly better this year when he's been healthy and he's been playing all season long. If the Orioles you know, have real aspirations to go for it this year and they have every right to do that, uh, again, you kind of hope for an all-hands-on-deck situation. I don't know if he comes in to be a full-time outfielder. I, I just don't see that happening immediately, but to have that left-handed bat off the bench could be huge down the stretch. And if, you know, I know he hasn't been as great in August as he had been in previous months, but the power is still there. And I think could play immediately. And even if it's in short spurts, get him that, um, you know, feeling of the majors. And again, just like you were saying with that clubhouse, all these Orioles guys, these young guys have been playing together for years. So getting another guy into that mix, a guy they all like, a guy they all know, um, would only add to the party and, and add to the good vibes in Baltimore. Baltimore. You know, and aren't they the perfect example, Sam, of, of if you did have the old, old rules, hello, Jackson Holiday. I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's something we've been talking about is like, would they get as aggressive with Jackson? Again, like they are so loaded with infielders. They have infielders at AAA who should be in the majors right now. Jackson Holiday's a double A, but Jackson Holiday's the number one overall prospect. He's a guy you make space for. Um, I haven't loved their shortstop options all year. The guy continues to hit at double A. Like, yeah, and the old rules. I think you might you might give Jackson Holiday a look. I just don't think there's he's kind of running out of time. If somehow the season goes until December, yeah, sure. We get a Jackson Holiday call up in November, but and, 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 he, and he had a fake ID because I think there's still some sheepishness, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. like that. Oh, you know, oh, 19 years old. But but it's it's interesting because the the way that the old rules, the correlation is like basically spring training. If you have, uh, we see these guys be put in major league rosters in major league clubhouses in spring training after being drafted. So in other words, the Jackson holiday is going to probably be in the major league clubhouse next year. Right. He was For, this spring. Oh, he was a spring. That's right. Yeah. yeah so, he was, he was a non-roster invite this spring. He was right, on so that I, team a lot. So, yeah. but I remember a guy, um, you know, Nick York being an example of this, like really, really early on, but this, this is happening more and more, but that's, that's what I'm talking about. If, if the old rules happen, that's what we would be looking like, right? That that sort of dynamic where you have a bunch of guys with the same motivation you have in, in the major league spring training integrate, you get to be around so-and-so there you go. But now you have two spots. Yeah. But the, the other thing I'll say about that though, is like the new rules also kind of incentivize bringing up somebody late, kind of what, the Orioles did last year with Gunnar Henderson and the D-backs did with Corbin Carroll. You bring a guy up late enough, they get a little bit of exposure to the major leagues, but they're still prospect eligible or rookie eligible going into next year. Then you put them back on the opening day roster. You could get an extra draft pick if they end mm. up being rookie of the year or MVP uh, within their arbitration years. So there is still something to that. That's not necessarily something a contender would necessarily do, um, but there is more incentive to bring up a guy late in the season just to say, Hey, it's okay if you're bad for these two weeks. We just want you knowing what this is like preparing for in the offseason to get back to the major leagues. And it's going to be so much easier to add you to the opening day roster and potentially us getting at that draft pick. So for people who don't know, Gunnar Anderson wins a rookie of the year this year. What do the Orioles get? They would get an extra pick, I believe, at the end of the first round, kind of what like the Mariners did this year with Julio Rodriguez. Mm. Um, they, they got an extra pick because he was on the opening day roster last year. 
That's crazy. That's crazy. And by the way, it's crazy that Gunnar Henderson's going to win Rookie of the Year. Because after the I mean, start he had, oh, yeah. it's crazy. He was like, yeah. Oh, you did. I did an interview with him and I felt bad for him. I'm like, And this was early, earlier in the year. And I was like, Oh man, you're a top prospect. There's a lot of expectations. They're running you out there all the time. You're not doing anything. And this, no, holy mackerel. I, I mean, it, I don't think, you know, I, I know I was pounding the, Oh, take Christian Cassis plus 3,000 because he was coming on. But, you know, you have young get hurt. You had, you know, she, you know, she just done had a downturn. And Gunnar Henderson's going to win it. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to win it walking away, too, I feel like. Um, but yeah, I mean, between him and like Bobby Wood Jr., who I know isn't a rookie anymore, but like Bobby Wood Jr. was our number one overall prospect going into 2022, had a bad year last year, and is now maybe going to be getting top five, maybe even some top three AL MVP votes. The talented guys figure it out. That's what it comes down to is that these guys who we've seen it do it over and over and over in the minor leagues, even if they struggle initially in the majors, they're just too talented to keep them down for too long. And it's been refreshing to see that. Like when you see your number one overall prospect, like Gunnar Henderson was for us coming into the year, struggle at the beginning of the year, you start to question your process. And then you remember, oh, there's a reason why we did that. And you certainly showed it in the second half. That's good, man. That's good. Uh, all right. You got anybody else you're looking at? Um, yeah. In terms of who else could possibly get called up, um, one I'm really intrigued by, and I don't know if this is going to happen. This is maybe my dark horse of our conversation here is where Elvis Martinez of the Toronto Blue Jays, the Blue Jays have all sorts of infield problems right now. Bo Bichette, uh, is hurt. Matt Chapman is on the IL or Elvis Martinez, 21 years old, just got called up to triple a has been doing pretty well there. He's a, he's a power first bat. Um, he hasn't had enough time at triple a yet, but he certainly carried his, uh, discipline improvements that he showed at double A into triple A. And that is the big thing for the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are watching the postseason kind of fall through their hands right now. Where Elvis <laughs> Martinez is already on the 40 man roster. Like you might as well turn to a guy who you think has a high ceiling. And again, get him that exposure to the major leagues. If you have openings where he plays, he plays shortstop, plays third base. They've mixed in some second base for him recently too. He's not a great defender, but when he hits the ball, it goes a long way. There was a stretch where like, most of his extra base hits were home runs. This guy doesn't hit triples. He hits, if he hits it, it's going over the fence. Um, so if I'm the Blue Jays, it, I'm trying to put everything I can into it. I know they called up Mason McCoy, who's not really a prospect, not a really great hitter, but was around. Or Elvis Martinez is on the 40 man, and I think fits a lot of the things they're going for. It might be a little too aggressive, but I would like to see the Blue Jays get aggressive. They need to do something. If they're mm. going to get back in this hunt, yeah. As as uh, producer Evan calls them, they're mercurial. There's no there's no better word. Yep. Mercurial right. of Toronto Blue Jays is is kind of crazy. Uh, well, to go back to a conversation a month ago, you know that that was such a fun conversation about you you telling us who all these guys are coming back and in all these deals and um and it's all because it's allowed us to follow a lot of them. And, and one guy that I've really followed is a guy that I want to go into the clubhouse today. I'm going over the Houston clubhouse and ask some guys about it. Um, maybe they've come in contact with Drew Gilbert, who obviously was traded in the Verlander trade. Um, so of all the guys who were traded, I mean, you, can, you can mention a couple, but Gilbert is, I mean, the Mets might have found something here, right? Yeah, I mean, when that trade was going down and we were thinking about like, oh, 
the Astros are getting Verlander back. It's like, well, it's going to cost their top prospect, and that's Drew Gilbert. Like, it has to. There's no way they can do this deal without including Drew Gilbert. Um, so that that that's what happened. I mean, he was included. Ryan Clifford was included. It was a high price to pay for the Astros. And I think the Mets did pretty well in that deal. Uh, they paid money to get both of those guys. But, you know, both of them are off to decent starts. But definitely Gilbert is off to an even stronger start than Clifford uh, so far in the Mets system. Uh, right now, he's been playing at double-A Binghamton. He's batting 342. He's got an OPS of 977. The big question mark for him is, like, how much is the power going to play? Because kind of similar to what we were saying before with PCA, he brings energy everywhere he plays. That that was something that happened at Tennessee. He was a guy who always stood out in the field. He was just energetic, flying all over the place, uh, swings super hard. Like, everything he does feels like it's at 110%. It's just he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's listed at 5'9". Uh, is the power going to be average? It's certainly playing so far, and I – I think that comes from just how hard he swings. Uh, it's more about bat speed than it is pure strength. And that works. It works for him. Um, so, you know, the Mets might have found a center fielder or any type of outfielder, really. You could stick him anywhere, uh, a future outfielder. And he might be there as early as next year, already at double A. Like I said, already been productive since the trade. We'll see how he ends the season. But I'm actually headed up to Binghamton. Right after this call, Rob, um, we're doing the MLB Pipeline Game of the Month up there in Binghamton. So I'm going to check in on him. I'm going to check in on Luis Alangel Acuna, who they got from the Rangers in the Max Scherzer deal. This Mets system is is remade, and Gilbert's a key piece of that. So uh, I do want to ask you about Acuna. I saw his numbers weren't – they hadn't obviously jumped off the page like Gilbert has. But when you're talking about Gilbert and his stature and his the way that he plays – and I hate to do this comp game, but I do it, do it anyway. Who does he remind you of? Is there any old player that he reminds you of? Uh, I've heard some Brett Gardner comps um, as a kind of smaller dude who just is always – looks like he's always giving 110%. And that's – it's not a perfect one, uh, again, because, you know, the, I don't want to just say small guy who's energetic is Brett Gardner. But yeah. I've heard that before. Um, that's the one that I've heard come up the most. And, like, when that happens, you think, well, Brett Gardner wasn't a great player. Like, so why is Drew Gilbert a top 100 guy? But Brett Gardner had a long career. And he, was, he, was, he was a good player. That's the thing. He was a good player for a yeah. long time. Like, yeah. that's difficult to, to project for any minor leaguer. <laughs> like, at a certain point, you just take, hey, here's a guy who's going to be worth, you know, two to three wins or three to four wins for seven to eight years. That's great. Every team needs one of those guys. And, and Drew Gilbert could be that guy for the Mets. So, uh, like you said, you're going to go see Acuna as well. So, what's the – and I know that people, <laughs> when these trades are made, all of a sudden, and we talk to plenty of these players because I like that conversation. What's it like to get traded? The pressure that's being put on you. Um, we just had this conversation with Josiah Gray with Washington, had it with a couple other guys in that clubhouse. That clubhouse is almost made up of all these guys who came over in big trades you know, the Washington Nationals. But uh, with uh, so with Acuna, like what what has been the takeaway so far with him? I think it was – he got off to a really slow start. Like you said, the numbers, if you look at them, zoomed out, are not comparable to Gilbert. And I think a, a big part of that is just change. I mean, he went from the Texas League to the – to the Eastern league up in the Northeast. Um, it's a, it's a big move. It, there's a lot that can go into that. He's still plenty young. He's only 21 years old uh, having to trade or change teams like that, that quick. So he got off to a slow start. He's certainly come around since um, I think that was just a comfort, comfortability factor um, trying to grow 
into a new place with new coaches and all that. Still feel the same way I did about him at the time of the trade. He's a guy who can play shortstop or second base, probably a future second baseman, but could be maybe gold glove caliber there. Um, he's stealing bases just like his brother. Doesn't quite have the speed of his brother necessarily, but has the aptitude to steal bases. He's even talked about they're in a competition with each other to <laughs> see who can steal the most. Um, I think Ronald's going to have him, but I would love to see that competition come to the NL East. And it's uh, a hit-first profile on the offensive side, hit over power, I should say. Still needs to lift the ball a little bit better. But once that happens, and it certainly could as he gets deeper into his 20s, um, I, again, the Mets could be looking at a solid four-win player at, at second base playing up the middle, which is incredibly valuable. Is there anyone else? Anyone else from the the deadline? Maybe maybe for the Mets, I don't know. Maybe, but anyone else from the deadline who's jumped out, jumped off the page for you? Yeah, one who I'm keep coming back to is Thomas Segisi for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. He came over in the Jordan Montgomery trade. Uh, not necessarily a top 100 guy, Acuna and Gilbert are. Uh, but when you look at what his numbers have been so far for Double A Springfield, he's hitting 354. He's got a 1.153 OPS uh, since coming over. He, he necessarily doesn't have to have that uh, change factor that Acuna did. He just moved within the Texas League. So a lot of these places he's playing, he's played in before. Um, it's a level he knows. It's it's one that he understands. It's a league that he understands. Um, but the guy is always hit. He's always been a hitter. He's a career 304 hitter in the minor leagues. Uh, and that's continued so far in the St. Louis organization. He can play some second base. He's not a shortstop. He's probably going to have to move around a lot uh, to, to find a defensive home in St. Louis. But it, the guy's going to go as far as his bat can travel, and it's traveling pretty well so far. I would love to see him get a shot at AAA Memphis before the year is out. All right, and the last thing is is the guy, and this is I didn't prep you for this, so I apologize. But the the draft, I mean, I'm looking at Dylan Cruz. I'm looking at Paul Skeens, these guys. Um, and another, uh, this is the reality that these guys live in. First-round picks, high first-round picks. Everyone immediately wants to see what's what when it comes to them. What are they doing? It's unfair, but it's just a reality. Uh, has anybody from this draft jumped out so far? Yeah, I mean, I, one thing that I think is jumped out more than like individual players. And th there have been some, but I think it's just such a small sample to like highlight one guy to being like, Oh, he's doing something completely different. It, it, it's a small sample. Anything is possible out of the draft. But the thing that stood out or stuck out to me so far, you mentioned schemes, you mentioned Cruz, those guys are already at double a, but they're not alone. Uh, Hurston Waldrip, the Atlanta Braves just got called up to double A. We're seeing Nolan Shanuel already in the major leagues with the angels and the <laughs> angels are a separate story. We could go an hour on what the Angels do with their draft picks uh, and what they're doing with their organization as a whole right now. But uh, it, one thing that we were talking about a lot this summer about the 2023 draft is it's one of the best drafts in recent memory, especially at the college level, because the, that is filled with guys from the 2020 draft who were high schoolers. And because it was a shortened 2020 draft, more guys went to college, more guys gained better skills. And the college group was really robust and, and really good. Dylan Cruz could have easily gotten drafted. Uh, in 2020, chose not to, chose to go to LSU. Now we know him as one of the most prolific collegiate hitters in recent memory, uh, now the number two overall pick. There's a reason why he's at double-A. Same thing with Paul Skeens. It's not just like, oh, teams are getting more aggressive. The talent has actually been there. Uh, and the, the talent is getting rewarded in the way they're getting pushed. Kyle Teal with the Red Sox, like he's at high-A Greenville right now, 
and he's really productive there. I would love to see him at double a Portland. And, and that is not something I would have predicted for the Sox at the beginning of the year that they would get aggressive with a, with their draft pick, but you know, the opportunities in front of them and all of these guys are continue to answer the bell. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, the 2020 thing, man, it's, it's fascinating, right? We're going to look back at that, whether, whether it's what you mentioned or whether it's how teams were evaluating these guys, how they were able to scout these guys, the small sample sizes. And also the other thing, um, Sam, is the the guys who were – and I was talking to an executive about this the other day. I would love to look back at the guys who were drafted – or not, not drafted because it was a five-round draft and who signed as these $20,000 free agents. Find the most successful guy. Maybe you know. I don't know. But it's <laughs> – it's it was it was like because obviously to refresh people's memories there was only five rounds that year and then after that it became a recruiting frenzy because every player after that you can only sign for twenty thousand dollars so I don't know if anyone jumps out I mean there are definitely I know there are definitely some who we have now ranked the one for this is just because he just got called up was John McMillan of the Kansas city Royals. He's now in the major leagues. Um, he's a pure reliever, uh, but he struck out eight over four innings to begin his career, which has been great. He's got a near top of the line fastball, a really, really good slider again, pure reliever, 25 years old, but uh, somebody who was drafted in the 11th round in 2019 chose not to sign thinking like, well, it's going to be a normal draft next year. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to re-enter, and I'm sure I'll help my stock. Maybe he would have been like a seventh pick, seventh round pick or something, but the seventh round didn't exist in 2020, no. so he had to sign as an undrafted free agent, which is unfortunate for him. But here we are three years later, and John McMillan's a major league reliever and a successful one so far. See, I knew you were that good. I knew that you would find an example for me. So, <laughs> I, I, ex, ex, all right, excellent stuff. All right, Sam, well, drive safe. Words that I never thought I uttered to anyone, drive safe to Binghamton. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me again, Rob.